Chapter Four of Betsy and Tacy Go Over the Big Hill by Maud Hart Lovelace. Betsy, Tacy, and Tib all had the same thought in the same instant too. Julia and Katie, they were here. They were listening. They heard us talking about the King of Spain. It was a dark thought that sent a shadow over the golden afternoon. They looked at one another in horror, thinking how they would be teased. It would sound queer, said out loud in public, that they were in love with the King of Spain. Tib bounded toward the path. Shall we chase them? It wouldn't do any good, said Tacy. The sooner we don't see them, the better, I think, said Betsy gloomily. <clears throat> gee whiz, she added. Betsy very seldom said gee whiz. She was too religious, but it was all she could think of to express her feelings now. Gee whiz, repeated Tacy. Gee Whittakers! Double darn, said Betsy. We could get our lunch back anyway, said Tib, but neither Betsy nor Tacy paid any attention. Tib bounced up and down. Let's look around, she said. Maybe it wasn't them at all. Maybe it was a dog. She broke off in a squeal. Look, look, it is a dog, or something. She dashed down the hill. Betsy and Tacy ran around the rock. Halfway down the slope, worrying a basket, there was certainly a shaggy creature, the size of a large dog, but it wasn't a dog. It had horns. It's a wild animal, a jungle animal, most likely, Betsy cried. Tib, come back, shouted Tacy. But Tib continued to run headlong. It's a goat, she called back, and he has our basket. Betsy and Tacy weren't afraid of a goat. Besides, relief that Julia and Katie did not know their secret brought back their appetites. They ran after Tib, who ran fiercely after the goat, which bounded on small fleet hoofs over the tussocks of grass. The basket came unfastened, and a red and white fringed cloth flew out like a banner. Sandwiches, cookies, and hard boiled eggs scattered in all directions. Oh, oh, oh! panted Betsy and Tacy, pausing to pick them up. Tib did not pause. She chased the goat around some scrub oak trees, behind a clump of the white wild plum. Then, Betsy, Tacy, Betsy, Tacy, came Tib's voice, with something in it which caused Betsy and Tacy to drop the sandwiches again and run to find her. They found her standing face to face with a little girl so strange that she seemed to have stepped out of one of Betsy's stories. Her dress had a long skirt, like a woman's, very full, made of faded flowered cloth. She wore earrings like a woman's, too. A scarf was tied over her head. From a rosy brown face, very bright brown eyes darted from Tib to Betsy and Tacy. Waving a stick in her hand, she began to talk excitedly. Not Betsy nor Tacy nor Tib could understand a word she said. She ran to the goat, which had come to a standstill nearby, and shook her stick at it. She ran to the basket, which he had dropped, and then to some sandwiches, which lay on the grass, and began to pick them up swiftly. When she turned her back, Betsy, Tacy, and Tib could see that her hair hung in long black braids, tied in red at the ends. Her shoes were red, too, and under her dress she wore bloomers down to her ankles. All this time she continued to pour forth a torrent of loud, strange words. Betsy, Tacy, and Tib could not understand one of them, but they knew what the little girl was trying to say. She was trying to tell them she was sorry that her goat had spilled their basket. It doesn't matter, said Betsy. We don't care a bit, said Tacy. We don't mind sandwiches being a little must. We often eat them that way, Tib explained. 
the little girl kept right on saying loudly, they didn't know what. She kept on picking up sandwiches and cookies and hard-boiled eggs, and finally Betsy and Tacy and Tib did the same. At last the lunch was restored to the basket, except one sandwich which the goat had gulped. The goat was now as meek as Grandpa William's cow, nibbling the grass and paying no attention to them. The little girl pointed from the goat to the basket, and shook her head until her braids swung out. "'She's the excitedest person I ever saw,' said Betsy. "'She can't speak any English,' Tacy said. "'Or understand it,' said Tib. All three stared at her, and unexpectedly she smiled. She showed white teeth, and dimples flashed in her round, rosy-brown face. "'Isn't she darling?' cried Betsy. "'Let's invite her to our picnic.' "'How can we?' asked Tib, when she can't understand our language. "'I know,' said Tacy. She shook out the red and white fringed cloth, which she had just rescued, and spread it on the grass. Betsy and Tacy took sandwiches and cookies and hard-boiled eggs, and arranged them invitingly upon it. Then all three sat down, leaving one side of the cloth empty, and all three pointed from the little girl to the vacant place, and back to the little girl again. "'Have a sandwich,' said Tib, picking up the cleanest one she could find—it wasn't very clean—and offering it. The little girl's smile gleamed whiter, her dimples flashed deeper than ever. She shook her head. Reaching into her girdle, she brought out a chunk of cheese and a piece of a flat, round loaf of bread. She sat down at the vacant place, her wide skirts billowing about her. They had a picnic. Betsy and Tacy had started picnicking when they were five years old, and Tib joined them soon after. They were all ten now, and they had had scores of picnics in the years between, but this was the most adventurous, the strangest, the funniest one they had ever had. Trying to find a way to talk with their visitor, Betsy, Tacy, and Tib pointed to the goat. "'Goat,' they said. "'Goat! Goat!' The little girl pointed to the goat. She said one word, too, and they knew it meant goat in her language. Betsy, Tacy, and Tib pointed to their sandwiches, and to the thin loaf that the little girl was eating. "'Bread!' they said. Bread! Bread! The little girl pointed to their bread and hers. She said, they were sure, her word for bread. A little yellow bird flew out of the white plum blossoms. Bird! said Betsy, Tacy, and Tib. Bird! Bird! The little girl said her word for bird. She laughed out loud, and they all laughed. They kept on saying words for a long time. "'Now we'll try something hard,' said Betsy, and she jumped up. She pointed to herself. "'Betsy,' she said. Tacy jumped up and pointed to herself. "'Tacy,' she said. Tib jumped up and pointed to herself. "'Tib,' she said. They did this two or three times. Then the little girl got up. She bobbed a small bow. She pointed to herself, and her teeth and dimples flashed. "'Nafy,' she said. Perhaps Betsy and Tacy and Tib were getting used to the sound of her strange language, but they understood the word. Nafy, she repeated. They knew it was her name. "'Hello, Nafy!' cried Betsy. "'Hello, Nafy!' cried Tacy, clapping her hands. "'Hello, Nafy!' cried Tib, jumping up and down. "'Hello!' said the little girl, as though she were asking a question. She repeated the word several times. "'Hello! Hello!' Betsy pointed to herself. "'Say, hello, Betsy.' "'Say, hello, Betsy,' Nafy said. 
Betsy shook her head. She tried again. "'Hello, Betsy,' she said, leaving out the say. This time Nafy got it right. "'Hello, Betsy,' she repeated. Tacy pointed to herself. "'Hello, Tacy.' "'Hello, Tacy,' Nafy said. "'Hello, Tib,' cried Tib. "'Hello, Tib,' said Nafy, looking very much pleased with herself. Betsy and Tacy and Tib shouted, "'That's fine!' and "'Good for you, Nafy!' "'Hello, hello, hello!' said Nafy, as though she were practising. They had a lovely time, but at last Nafy sprang up, shaking out her skirts. She pointed to the goat and to the valley, with a stream of her strange loud words. "'She means she must go home,' said Betsy, "'and we must, too. Goodness, look at the sun!' While they were picnicking, the sun had gone halfway down the sky. That meant they must hurry, for they were not allowed to stay up on the big hill after dark. Nafy bobbed her little bob, showing her white teeth and dimples. She picked up her stick and waved it, and called to her goat. "'Hello!' she called in farewell. "'You mean good-bye!' cried Betsy. "'Good-bye! Good-bye!' cried Tacy and Tib. They stuffed the red and white fringed cloth hurriedly into their basket, and started up the hill, talking about Nafy. "'Is she a Syrian?' asked Tib. "'She must be,' said Betsy. "'She lives in little Syria.' "'She must have just come to America,' said Tacy. "'The other Syrians all know a little English, and they don't dress like that.' "'The women wear scarves on their heads when they come selling lace, though,' Betsy said. "'Did you see her earrings? "'And her red shoes? "'They were beautiful.' "'Why doesn't she come to our school, I wonder?' Betsy asked. "'The Syrian children go to the Catholic school at the other end of town,' Tacy replied. They turned for a last look at the small, gay figure, dimmed now by distance. A shadow lay on the valley. Mr. Meacham's mansion led the row of little houses, like a mother hen leading her chicks, safe home at dusk. "'We've got to hurry,' said Tib. They started climbing again, and presently something drove Nafy out of their minds.' Fluttering down the hill to meet them came a multitude of newspapers. They came like tumbleweed, blowing lightly about in all directions. With a shock, Betsy and Tacy and Tib remembered the King of Spain. Again they all had the same thought in the same instant. Our letter! What became of it? What did we do with it when we ran after the goat? Nobody remembered. Running up to the rocks, they began to search frantically, but they could not find the envelope. Their high ridge had been swept bare by the wind. "'It was all addressed. Maybe someone will find it and mail it,' Betsy suggested hopefully. "'It didn't have a stamp on it, though,' said Tib, "'and you said it cost a lot of money to send a letter to Spain.' "'That's right,' said Betsy. She stopped still. "'Gee whiz,' she said. "'What's the matter?' asked Casey. "'I hope the wind won't blow that letter where Julia and Katie can find it.' "'We'd certainly never hear the last of it,' said Tib. Again, dread like a cloud darkened the day. It was darkening, too, from other causes. The sun, already low in the west, had dropped into a cloud-made pocket. The hilltop was windy and cold. "'I've got to get home,' said Tib. "'I get scolded if I'm not home on time.' "'I get a pretty hard talking to,' said Betsy. "'So do I,' said Tacy. They ran down the secret lane." Halfway through it they met Mrs. Ekstrom with an apron thrown over her head. "'I was looking for you,' she said. "'I was sure I hadn't seen you come past. Don't you know it's time you went home?' 
"'We're hurrying, Mrs. Ekstrom,' Betsy said. As they jogged down the big hill, they talked again about Nafy. "'Let's keep her a secret,' Betsy said. "'Let's,' said Tacy. "'And let's take the King of Spain's pictures out of our underwaists,' said Tib, "'as long as I can't be queen.' "'You can't be his queen, but you're going to be a queen,' said Betsy. "'Tacy and I are planning it, aren't we, Tacy?' "'Good-bye,' she panted, as their road met the path which led down to her home. She raced past the barn and the buggy-shed, where her father was unharnessing old Mag. She darted among slim young fruit-trees, which looked chilly now in their pale pink and white finery, and skipped down the brown path dividing the kitchen-garden. In the wood-shed she paused to catch her breath. She went into the kitchen softly, hoping that her late return would go unnoticed. As a matter of fact, it did. Her mother was busy, frying potatoes, and listening to Julia rehearse the piece she was going to recite at the school entertainment. Julia loved to recite. Her loose, dark hair scattered on her shoulders. Her face glowing, she went through her piece as though she were standing on a stage. She even made gestures. Betsy sat down on the edge of a chair and listened. Secretly she admired Julia's reciting. It sent an icy trickle down her spine when Julia recited Little Orphan Annie and The Raggedy Man. This new piece was different. It wasn't scary, but for Betsy it had a special value. Thinking of Tib, she listened with pricked ears. "'You must wake and call me early, call me early, mother dear. Tomorrow'll be the happiest time of all the glad new year. Of all the glad new year, mother, the maddest, merriest day, for I'm to be queen of the May, mother, I'm to be queen of the May.'" End of chapter 4. Read by Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org, on Saturday, February 13, 2016, in Union City, California.